0: I wonder if you were blessed by that. Amen? Can we thank them for that? Our God is worth praising and worshiping. And we thank you, choir, for helping us to know that and to leading us in our worship of Him. Um, I would like to invite you to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke this morning in chapter 2. And we're going to consider God's Word for us this morning, beginning in verse 8. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 857. If you don't have a copy of God's Word of your own, we'd love for you to to take that Pew Bible as our gift to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to be uh, preaching... uh, Let's see, about 12 or 13 verses, and and we're going to go verse by verse this morning. I really would like to encourage you to have a copy of God's Word that you can follow along throughout the sermon, and not just as we first consider this text. And so, uh, hopefully you found your way to Luke chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, hear now the Word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, Father, we thank You for Your Word in which we can come and consider this morning that we can set our hearts on. We ask that You would help us this uh, just a handful of days before we celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas morning. We pray, Father, that You would prayer our hearts even now that we can draw close to You and know You and respond appropriately to You through Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In 1961, Russia sent a cosmonaut into outer space. His name was Yuri Gagarin. He'd be the first man to orbit the earth from outer space. When he returned, he and many of the Russian officials began to brag a little bit about this incredible accomplishment. Certainly it was. But these atheists got together, including Yuri. And they said, we went to heaven and we found no one home. And this was further proof that to them that God really didn't exist. Well, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author who was alive at the time, responded to those claims. He wrote, if there was a God who created us, you wouldn't relate to Him the way a person on the first floor relates to a person on the second floor. And in other words, if you're on the first floor, how do you get to know the guy on the second floor? Well, you just climb the stairs and you meet Him. But Lewis goes on and says, rather, if God created us, He would re- we would relate to Him the way Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. Hamlet is never going to find out anything about Shakespeare by doing tests in a lab. Hamlet is not going to find out anything else by going through the backstage. The only way Hamlet will know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play. You see Lewis's point, that, that we, if you will, the characters, the only way that we can know anything about the playwright, God, is to the degree in which he chooses to put himself in the play. I draw your attention to Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He has come and inserted himself into our lives, into this world that we might know him and become properly related to him, have peace with him. And now I understand that this text, which we I have just read and will be considering this morning, is a very familiar text to you. In fact, it's hard for me to read this passage without picturing Linus and his blanket. I don't know about you, Right? (laughs) Uh, we saw this was a Christmas tradition for our family, and, and there's Linus up there telling Charlie Brown, who's very frustrated, what Christmas is all about, and quoting beautifully from Luke chapter 2. And there, it's hard for us, there's a challenge for us to properly respond to life-changing truths in familiar passages. So you're going to have to work a little harder this morning. And I'm going to have to work a little harder this morning that we might truly hear what God has to say. In fact, I heard of one pastor who went and visited a family who lived 10 feet from a train track. And he was sitting there in the living room with the family gathered together and all of a sudden he heard a boom. And then a, a whoosh! And he immediately jumped out of his chair and says, What was that? And the 10-year-old boy says, What was What? He says, well, uh, uh, well, that noise, how how do you sleep through that? He says, "Sleep, sleep through what? See, it was so familiar to him that the enormity of it couldn't even be heard anymore. Are you sleeping through Christmas? It's become so familiar. It just passes on by. Maybe you're kind of feeling mellow this morning. Even though there has been boom and whoosh presented to us over and over again, great and amazing truths. So our goal, I think, this morning is, is not that we would simply understand Christmas, but that we would respond appropriately to it. And we'll do so in this passage. Last week we considered the birth of Jesus. Remember, Mary and Joseph traveled from Nazareth 80 miles down to Bethlehem. And, and there they had this baby. Luke simply and beautifully writes in verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped Him in swaddling clothes, and laid Him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn." and as soon as he writes that, he he takes us from the stable out into the fields nearby. For we see in verse eight, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And it's just a normal evening for the shepherds. Maybe some of them are sleeping, or warming themselves by the fire, or telling stories, or or maybe even playing an instrument. And and there they are just out there at night keeping watch over their flocks. And all all of a sudden, we read in verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. In other words, boom, right? there. Their attention is immediately captured. In fact, they understand that this is not one of the guys, for we see in verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around him. I don't know if you can imagine what that'd be like out there in the pitch blackness of of this time with, with no illumination whatsoever, and all of a sudden the brilliance of God's glory comes and visits them. The light begins to shine all around them. It must have been incredible. In fact, they responded, as you probably would in verse 9, and they were filled with fear. I like the King James that says they were sore afraid. They were so scared it hurt. Here is an angel there in the middle of the night. And the angel comes and he begins to explain what Christmas is about. And then more angels come and begin to worship what Christmas has brought. And then we see in the shepherds How we are to respond to Christmas. So consider, first of all, this morning in this beautiful picture, this Christmas pronouncement from this angel, perhaps even Gabriel himself, who's already shown up twice in the Gospel of Luke. His words to them in response to their fear, according to verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He says, You don't need to be afraid. I'm here not not with judgment, not with condemnation, uh, not, not with death. I'm here to bring you good news. The good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, what is the news? Well, verse 11, as we've already seen, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A child has been born, a son has been given, He declares to them. And he goes on to describe this child using these three titles, Savior, Christ and the Lord. The only time in the Bible that these three titles are ever brought together to describe Jesus. He calls this boy, this baby, this this Jesus a Saviour. We the choir sung about it over and over again. I don't know if you notice the singing about why do we sing about Jesus? Because he is a, a savior. Our God is a saving God. Now people tend tend to not like religion that tells us we need a savior. They like religion that tells us well we need a little help, maybe, and, and God will help us or give us some guidance or some good moral teaching or or help us, you know, have our best life. Now we we like God to kind of come alongside of us and, and give us a little boost. Help us, but save us, that's somewhat challenging, that's somewhat confrontational. In fact, Buddha would tell you that, that if you really wanted to seek enlightenment, you can achieve it. And Muhammad, he would tell you, if you really wanted to seek submission, which is what Islam means, submission to God, you can achieve it. Now, Buddha and Muhammad have radically different understandings of what salvation is, but this is one thing they agree on. If you seek after it, you can find it. You can do it. You can achieve it. You can save yourself. The Bible tells us something completely different. That Jesus Christ has come precisely because you cannot save yourself. That He is, the angel says, a Savior. He has come to save you, and I don't know if you can hear the boom in that, but there is one who has come to save us from the wrath of a holy God, to liberate us from our bondage to sin, to buy us back into His eternal kingdom. It is indeed good news. He's a Savior for us. It seems like every once in a while we we hear news reports of of a mine that's collapsed and A number of miners are trapped inside. A handful of years ago... uh a couple dozen Chilean miners were trapped in a mine in Chile. And I don't know if you remember. They were down there for an incredibly long time. And, and, and the international news media was there. And they are bringing in mine experts from all over the world to try to figure out how to, to rescue these individuals. How to, how to get them out of that situation. You see, at that time, the miners did, did not need any tips on how to have a fulfilling life. They didn't need any business hints. They didn't need to help on on how to have a romantic marriage. If you maybe drill a little hole down into that mine shaft, they were trapped under a half a mile of earth. Maybe you could get a a note down them and you could drop them a note and say, hey, the economy is improving. Or it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. Now that's all nice news unless you're trapped under a half a mile of earth. What they want to hear is that a rescuer has come, that a a savior has reached them. Jesus is that savior. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14, the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. He has come to save you and me and all who would trust in him and surrender their life to him, all who despair of their sinful ways and give themselves over to Jesus. It was about a hundred years ago that Dwight Moody, the great evangelist, was asked by a warden of a very large prison in New York City to come and to address the inmates. This particular prison didn't have a chapel, and so they constructed a ramp which Moody preached from the end of. But unfortunately, because of that, he was, it was a large tier of prison cells, and he was not able to see a single prisoner face to face from where he was preaching. And so he preached not being able to see anyone to whom he was preaching. And when he had finished, he asked the warden if he could go and, and speak to the inmates and talk to them through their cell bars. And the, the warden agreed. And so he went and spoke to, to a man and he said, well, what did you think of my message? And the man says, well, I wasn't listening. And then he went and talked to another man. He said, I wasn't listening. And another man, I wasn't listening. And as he got to know these men, he, he found out they were all innocent. right? And, and they, they shouldn't have been there. And the jury was prejudiced or this false testimony or they got the wrong guy. And everybody was pleading their case. But none of them were listening to them until, Moody, as Moody puts it, I began to get discouraged. But when I had gone almost through, I found a man on his elbows and his knees. Two streams of tears running down his cheeks. I looked through that little window and I said, My friend, what is your trouble? He looked up to me with despair upon his face and said, My sins are more than I can bear. In which Moody responded, Thank God for that. It's only when we realize we cannot bear our sins do we realize we need one to save us from them. A Savior has come It's Christ came. Can you hear that boom? That whoosh this Christmas? Well, He's not only the Savior, but He is secondly Christ. He is uh, the Anointed One, the Chosen One. The choir sang this beautiful song for us. The Messiah has come. The Messiah is simply the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. The promised one from old who would come and rule as an anointed king, faithfully gathering His subjects into His kingdom as He does today. Bringing them, even 2,000 years later, continuing to bring them in their kingdom around this world. That's why we give to Laodium and Christmas offering that more and more people from around the world may hear of this Christ who has come to bring them into His kingdom. And they go on to say He is the Lord. This is perhaps the most staggering title. The angel gives them because the word Lord is used 6,000 times in the Old Testament, I'm told, always to use in reference to God. In fact, already now in our study of Luke's Gospel, the word Lord has used 20 times in reference to God Himself. In fact, even in our passage, look in verse 9. You see an angel of the Lord appear to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. You see what Luke is saying. Well, the Lord means God, doesn't He? And yet the angel of the Lord in the glory of the Lord comes to announce that the, the baby is the Lord. That Jesus is God. He is the second person of the triune God. And we gaze, gaze upon Him, we look into the face of Jesus, we are looking into the face of our God. He is Savior, Christ and Lord. And it is as if that were not enough. You notice verse eleven has one other truth that is so incredibly important. Look again, he's for he says, For unto you is born this day. It's for you. He's for you. It's just not the fact that a savior and a Christ and the Lord has been born, but the Lord has been born unto you, He's been given to you. If your home is anything like mine this time of year, there there is a tree somewhere in your living room. And under that tree, there are presents all over the place. And, and for my family, all around the tree and kind of spilling out into the living room are presents everywhere. right? And we wrap those presents and we, we take those little stickers and it says to and we write you know, to the child and from mommy and, and daddy. And it almost seems to me as if the angels are placing one of those tags on the manger. It says two shepherds from God. He's, he's God's gift to you. Now, if I were a shepherd or, or you were a shepherd at this time, you'd probably think, you you got to be kidding me. For unto us, uh, you may have made a wrong turn. You may have ended up at the wrong place. We, we, we kind of expect that... that the Bible might say for, in that region there were scribes watching over their scrolls, or Pharisees watching over their rituals, or kings keeping watch over their palaces, but we come to shepherds, the, the last people in which the angel would, we would think would come and proclaim it is to be shepherds. So it's not that they're wicked necessarily, but, but it is a, a lowly job. It is, uh, probably every single one of them is illiterate. This is a job you give to children. It's unskilled work. This is you don't. No one grows up and says, "I want to be a shepherd." It's right? the job you end up with. It's not the job you aim for. They they were considered unclean, they violated the Sabbath, they touched dead animals, they were not allowed within the temple courts, they, they were kind of set aside, they're ostracized from the religious practices of Judaism. And the angel comes to him and says, To you, he has been given. He is a savior has come for you, a, a Christ the Lord, has been given to you. The lowly, the outcast, the marginalized. This is who Christ has come for. He Himself said the, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick, the Son of Man has come not to save the righteous, but the unrighteous. Which is why when He grew up, He would spend His time with fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and the sick and the lepers and the, and the lame and the drunks, the seeking, those who were sinful and helpless. That God comes for people like this, the, the lowly. I think that's probably good news for us, especially us here gathered together in this this Baptist church. I don't know if you've heard that Episcopalians are just Presbyterians with a family tree. Presbyterians are just Methodists with money. And Methodists are just Baptists with an education. No one really aspires to Let's be honest. No one really grows up and says, I want to be a Baptist. Not many people, right? There are better things to aspire for, perhaps. But it's it's the lowly that Christ has come for, hasn't He? It's the marginalized. This is why He's already visited an older barren woman and a young virgin teenage girl. This is why He called out Israel, not Egypt or Babylon or Greece or Rome. It's not surprising that He would call us together. For you, he says. But just not for the lowly. Just not for the shepherds. In fact, even in verse 10, he says, this is great joy that will be for all the people, for all the nations, for all the world. That we might take this news to the world that they too might have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news. Wonderful news. Please don't sleep through Christmas. How many people just think, well, this is irrelevant to our lives. It's a nice story, but what change does it make? In fact, I know that a recent survey asked professing Christians if they agree with this statement. All good people, whether they consider Jesus Christ to be Savior or not, will live in heaven after they die. And 49% of professing Christians agreed with that statement. And if you agree with that statement, then, then... this isn't all that good news. I mean who cares if a Saviour's been born or not? I mean he may warm your heart, but it's certainly news you can live without. Right? Who needs a Savior? And the Bible tells us in John chapter three, in fact the ladies began to read for that, read that in the advent lighting this morning, but the very next verse in verse eighteen says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If that's true, then this news cannot be any more important. Utterly crucial. The greatest news ever. A Savior has been born. Well, as they announce the Savior, as they announce the birth of Christ the Lord, it almost seems to me, and perhaps I'm reading into the text that heaven starts to get excited and pressure begins to build, almost like the pressure building in a volcano. And and uh, all of a sudden, there seems to be this eruption of joy from heaven. For we see in verse 13, and suddenly with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. And all of a sudden, all of heaven descends upon earth and suddenly Luke says that heaven breaks out in worship. He He says it was a multitude. It was many angels. We don't know how many angels. But uh, to be honest, I kinda like, I'd like to think it was every single angel was there. They just all came. They they all flooded down. The book of Revelation says there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels. Now if I've done my math right, that's a hundred million angels. Now I don't know, that's probably a figurative figure, but in other words, there are a lot of angels and they all came down and to do what? To praise God. In fact, he calls them the the heavenly host. There are three times in the Bible where we actually see the heavenly host. 1 Kings 22, Revelation 4 and 5, and here in Luke 2. are two times we see the heavenly host? They are in heaven around the throne of God. There is one time in which the heavenly host is seen upon earth. And it is right here. And it seems to me that it is as if God got up from His throne and came and became enthroned in a manger and the angels followed Him down to worship Him and to praise Him and to proclaim His glory and His majesty. Can you imagine that sight? What that must have been like. In fact, if one angel's terrifying, how about how about a, a multitude? How, how about this horizon, horizon filled with with messengers from heaven? Can you imagine the sound? Must have been thunderous. This, this heavenly army praising God. I mean, it's being quite the cantata, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be extraordinary. To, as they come and praise God, specifically they praise Jesus about what He has brought. They rejoice in in The Christmas presents, if you will. Secondly, consider these two Christmas presents in which the Lord has brought. The angels announce in their song of praise, according to verse 14, they say, Glory to God in the highest. He brought the glory of the Lord with Him. John says in John one fourteen, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He comes with the glory of God. The glory of God is very important to the Jewish people. In fact, there was a time in which Solomon erected the temple there in Jerusalem. And they dedicated the temple. The whole nation gathered together together. It was on that day that the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple. It was an incredible day for God's people. It meant that God was here. God says, I am here. I'm with you. I will dwell in your midst. It meant they had access to God through their priests and their sacrificial system. And it was one of the highlights in the, in the, the nation's, uh, existence. But as you know, if you know the story that they didn't, they didn't follow God. And they began to rebel against God and worship other gods. And God warned them by prophet again and again and again. And they never repented until God finally was just enough. And it's through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 8 and chapter 10 that we he sees the temple and he sees the glory of God get up from the temple and cross over the threshold and then go out the temple courts and then up onto the mountain and then pauses almost as if God is looking back upon His people and then disappears. The glory of God, gone, left. Now Israel will come back and rebuild the temple, wouldn't they? But the glory of God would never return until Christmas morning. And he comes, the glory of God comes not in a building but in a baby. Glory to God in the highest, they proclaim. Gloria in excelsis Deo. The, the angels saw it. They saw the wisdom and power of God, the love and grace of God, the beauty and majesty of God. Even, the, even though many people missed it, didn't they? Just another baby crying in the night. Just Eventually, just another threat to be put down, to be murdered. They, they missed it. But I want you to understand there's a day coming when no one will miss it. He, the glory of God is going to return in Christ and He will blacken the sky and the universe will be filled with the blazing glory of Jesus Christ, the Risen One, and every eye will see it. You may, You may yawn through Christmas. You'll come awake that day. When He comes with a sword and an army to throw down every idol from His throne and silence every false god and undo everyone who persists in the rebellion, who refuses His mercy, He will return in glory and forever rule upon His Father David's throne in a kingdom that will not end. He will come in glory again. Glory! You will see glory to God in the highest. But that's not the only thing the angels sing about, praise the Lord. There's something else that Christ brings with Him, and it's peace. They sing, "...and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." This, as I mentioned last Sunday night, is not a song that's often sung by angels. When man rebelled against God in the garden, man and, and woman were expelled, Adam and Eve were expelled from the presence of God. The angels showed up, didn't they? Not to sing about peace, but they showed up with weapons, fiery swords to drive man away from God, to declare that man and God were at enmity with each other, that there was now war between God and man. They were unreconciled. And Jesus Christ comes to end that. He comes to bring peace. This peace in which He brings, which the angels sing about, is not the warming of your heart this Christmas season. It is salvation peace. It is a declaration that the war is over. The battle has ended. That God is no longer the enemy of man. And man is no longer the enemy of God for all who would trust in Christ. Peace on earth, they proclaim. Do you hear that boom? Do you hear that whoosh? Do you hear that great eternal truth? They sing of peace. They sing of God's glory. Does that impact you in any way? Will that will that change 2015 for you? Will that change your life? Can you respond to Christmas? Well, the shepherds go on to show us this beautiful picture as to how we should respond to these truths. In fact, I simply would like to give you, as we come to a close on our time this morning, six quick Christmas responses. How to respond to Christmas? We see, first of all, the angels, oh, excuse me, the shepherds pursue God. And verse 15 declares, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So the angels leave, the, the glory fades, the sky returns to darkness, and these shepherds end up looking at each other thinking, okay, what do we do now? Right? That was incredible. But now what do we do? Well, they say, let's go and let's look for this. Let's seek this child. They believe what they heard and, and therefore they sought this Savior. Of course, the question is how are they going to find him? I mean, how do they know who's, which baby it is? Well, the angel already told them in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You're going to find this baby in, in, in a feed trough. That's how you know it's the right one. They must have thought, what kind of woman puts her baby in a feed trough? What is going on here? But and yet, they, they, they went out with no star to guide them. They, they went looking for a baby in a manger. And notice how they went. According to verse 16, And they went with haste. They didn't sit around. They were eager. They were enthusiastic. They set off for the for him... One commentator says they certainly took off running, leaping the low Judean fences and entering the enclosure wide eye and panting. They searched the stalls and quickly found the new mother and her baby among the animals. I don't know how they found them. Eventually, maybe they knocked on some doors. Have you heard of a baby being born tonight? And maybe they even found some babies, but they were in cribs and not in feed troughs. And so they kept looking and finally they came and found this child in this great enthusiasm and this haste as we see in verse 16 and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger they sought after him i wonder christian do you seek after god do do you pursue jesus i know you've already have him but do you continue to seek him paul the apostle would say one thing i do forgetting what lies behind and straining on towards what lies ahead i press on toward the goal for which i have been called heavenward in christ jesus that's one thing I do. I seek God. I run after God. The book of Hebrews says, Since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and entangles us and run the race set before us with endurance. Do you seek Him? Do you seek Him with eagerness? Do you seek Him with enthusiasm, with haste? Or do you say, Well, you know, I'll seek Him later on. You know, I got things to do. He, he could wait. I wonder about your pursuit in Christ. I wonder about my own. I wonder how you plan to make sure He's part of your life. Well, the second Christmas response is to proclaim God. You notice verse sixteen that they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. I, I kind of chuckle at this verse because I just can't imagine what this was like with you have Mary and she just had a baby and then you're Joseph there and you're you're already uncomfortable in this manger and all of a sudden some some gruffy, unclean, stinky men show up in your stable there. And we don't know how many there are. We know there are more than two. Maybe there's two dozen. I don't know. But here they come, kind of barreling into your manger, and my mind. I, Joseph gets up and gets between Mary and the baby and say, May I help you, gentlemen? You know, this stable's full here. Uh, and then can't you can't you hear the shepherd saying, Well, um, we're not sure if you know this, but but that baby in the feed trough is the Messiah. An angel just came, we were just out there, and he came and declared it, and then, then this whole choir of angels began to praise him. And then Mary said, well, I had an angel appear to me and he told me I was going to have the Son of God even though I'm a virgin. He said I was going to have this child. And then Joseph said, well, I was going to divorce her. But then the angel came to me and said, no, no, no. She's telling you the truth. And, And there they are just sharing this great news and speaking to one another. These shepherds come and proclaim this to Mary and Joseph. But not just Mary and Joseph. No, verse 18, and all who heard it. Wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they didn't stop with Mary and Joseph. They kept going on. They kept telling people. They kept proclaiming it. I wonder, do you proclaim it? Can you imagine how embarrassing this story would be? I I hear sometimes people are embarrassed to speak about Jesus. Today. Well, well, how, how about the idea that... That someone says, well, I'm sorry, you saw a bunch of angels who said there was a carpenter and a lady and they put their baby in a manger and that's, that's the Messiah? Yeah, that's what we're telling you. They went and proclaimed Christ. It didn't stop. Them. I wonder if Christmas will give you an opportunity to proclaim Jesus. I wonder if there will be aunts and uncles, brothers, sisters, parents, children nearby. That you can speak for Christ. I wonder if you will talk about Him. I wonder how you'll answer the question that you will undoubtedly hear when you return to work. How was your Christmas? I wonder if Christ will make it into that answer. I wonder if Jesus will be a name that you utter. They proclaimed to Him. The well, third Christmas response is they pondered God. Note verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the shep- at what the shepherds told them. They, they wondered. They, were, they marveled. Evidently the word spread and, and the talk around the town was, did you hear what the shepherds saw last night? And, and they all thought it was amazing news, didn't they? They, they? they marveled at it, but that's about all they did. Maybe some believed, but but I, I imagine most people didn't because the first, verse, first word in verse 19 was, but Mary. So there's a contrast to what Mary did and what they did. So they, they marveled and they were, they were amazed at it. As many people do in the Christmas. This is an amazing story. People say, this is a wonderful story. And that's all they do. They're, they're amazed at Christmas. But it makes no impact upon their life. Perhaps they even wonder if it's true, like many who the shepherds told. But Mary, notice what she does in verse 19. Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. She, two things. She ponders. That's a cognitive word. It means she's thinking about how all this fits together. How does this make sense in my life? She's thinking through the implications of what she's heard. Notice she doesn't say to the shepherds, Oh yeah, I already know all that. Right? I've already heard about the baby. I wonder if we do that on Christmas. We who have been going to churches for decades. Oh yeah, yeah, pastor. I know this passage. Mary, she begins to think about it. What does it mean? How does it impact the way I live? Reflection, pondering. I wonder have you, this Christmas, have you sat down even for five minutes and just thought about the Christmas story? Pondered what it means for you? what it means for how you're going to live your life. She ponders it, but she does more than that. She treasures it. You see that verse in, in verse 19? She treasured these things up in her heart. This has to do with the, the emotions. It means to relish, to savor. It literally means to keep something alive. Like I, I, The picture I have is to keep feeding a fire to keep it alive. She doesn't, in other words, simply ponder these truths. She fans the flame in her heart about them. She wants to experience the truth. It means everything to her. And she treasures these truths up in her heart. She ponders and treasures. I want to caution you this morning. that Do not underestimate your ability to hear and at the same time to not hear the Word of God. I think that's how most people, I think many people here in this room this morning are hearing what I'm saying but but really are not hearing. Many people, some people just reject it completely. But I think many people will say, yeah, I believe it, but it makes no impact upon them. There's no pondering, there's no treasuring, there's no change. You don't want to be like the other people who just marveled at it. We're just amazed by it. We want to be like Mary, this great example of faith who considered and pondered. The Christmas response number four is to praise God. Note verse 20. And the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The, the news was pretty good evidently. And they who were in great fear are now filled with great joy. And they begin to praise Jesus just as the angels have done, just as Mary had done, just as Zechariah had done. And, and now the shepherds are doing perhaps imitating the angels. Maybe they're singing, you know, glory to God in the highest. I don't know. Maybe they're singing, that on earth peace among whom He is pleased. And they begin to praise God and and to to sing Him. And this seems to be the pattern. First we come and see Him. And and when we know for sure, when we believe Him, we we respond by, by going and telling others, glorifying and praising God along the way. Christmas is a time for praising God. We, we heard, oh, come let us adore Him, we sang this morning. Oh, come let us adore Him. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. So bring Him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant King to own Him. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. They worshiped Him. They glorified this God as He is worthy of their worship. Have you praised Jesus this Christmas. I mean, really, from your heart and your soul, worshiped Him. Have you slowed down at all? In the busyness. I, I, he's just, rather than just going crazy with activity, I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to worship Him. Christmas response number five is to persevere with God. I like this. Verse 20, it says, and the shepherds returned. I just like that word return. Where, where do they return? To a book deal, right? I'm going to start doing tours in Bethlehem. Right? Some TV show, they, they, well, they returned to their flocks. They went back to work. It's kind of a letdown, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine if an angel comes and then a bunch of angels come and then a couple hours later you're just back at work? You're sitting at your desk again? I mean, it's amazing to me. They just went back. And yet they, they went back different, didn't they? Nothing's the same for them. See, we're not called to live spectacular and flashy lives. We're called to believe in Jesus and then go back to our life and learn to rejoice and to witness day in and day out. I think it's very easy to praise Him at the manger. It's perhaps easier to praise Him around Christmas time. But what do you do when you go back? What's life going to be like for you when the, the tree is taken down and the decorations are back in the attic and you're back to work on Monday or whenever you go back? My prayer is that you'll go back different because of what Christ has done, you'll go back praising Him for what you have seen and heard. Well, lastly, consider the sixth Christmas response. Be at peace with God. They did all these things because they are at peace with Him. This is why Christ has come. So that we might have peace with Him. In fact, the angels sang of it back there in verse 14. And on earth, peace. A little phrase we did not consider yet to who the peace is for. You notice they say and peace among those with whom he is pleased. And see, Christmas brings peace, God's peace, but it doesn't bring God's peace for everyone. It brings peace for those with whom God is pleased. The question then for us is, how then? How shall we please him? Many have ideas on that—the type of life you're supposed to live, the religious rituals you're supposed to do. The Bible's not so complicated. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 11, "It is without faith it is impossible to please God. You trust Him. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The book of Romans says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have been saved by faith. Not by doing this or doing that or doing anything, but by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people believe that these shepherds we're in service of the temple. You see, Bethlehem was only six miles away from Jerusalem. And it's in Jerusalem where all the animals were sacrificed to make atonement for sin. In fact, in the Passover we understand that there was a quarter million lambs that would be sacrificed. So most of the time you wouldn't bring your own lamb, you just buy one once you're down there. And so the temple authorities had their own shepherds and their own flocks to make sure that there were unblemished lambs available. I wonder if these guys could be those temple shepherds. Wouldn't that be interesting? keeping watch over these flocks that are destined to be sacrificed for sin, looking over sacrificial lambs when they are told by the angel that the last sacrificial lamb has come, the one who has come to give his life, that they and you might know the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace? Will you surrender your life to Christ, that you might know eternal peace with the God who made you. Father, we thank You so much for our Lord. We thank You for these great and wonderful and incredible truths. We thank You that we can spend this time today worshiping Him and praising Him and exalting Him. And may we go forth considering who He is and, and understanding the change that He would want to bring in our lives. Help us and guide us and lead us. Help us not to hear it and, and, and at the same time not respond. Walk away from these truths totally the same we didn't come here today you didn't bring us here today to not change us to not make us more like Jesus father we pray for our friend here this morning perhaps invited by family perhaps visiting from out of town he does not know Christ as their savior he does not know the peace in which he offers them we pray father that you by your spirit even now would work in their hearts faith that you would make them aware of their sin. That they too would say, like this prisoner of old, my sins are more than I can bear. And that you would take them those sins from them if they would simply trust in Jesus Christ who has died and has risen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.